Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Ross Rich, who's the CEO and co-founder of Cord. It's a platform that allows both your customers and your salespeople to work in a mutual space so that the whole sales process is transparent. And more importantly, it's simplified for your customers so they know exactly what they're getting from you. It's a pretty incredible platform. You can find out more at inaccord.com. We'll be talking about it on today's episode. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. You know, one of the things I love to talk about on the podcast is this oh so painful, oh so agonizing topic of sales. It's the conversation that a lot of us don't like to have because heck, selling is a bit challenging. It can be a bit tough. And yet it feels like some people have an insight on how to sell really well. In fact, not only do they understand how to sell, They've even built platforms that you can use that will make your selling so much easier. Talking today from a startup founder, Ross Rich. He's one of the co-founders and CEO of Accord. It's a sales platform that basically allows you to have the conversations you need to have with your customers and get all those things organized, documents, things they need to get signed, back and forth, all that in one place so that sales can finally be as easy as you want it to be. Ross, it's so great to have you on the show today. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me, Blake. Excited to dive in today. Well, I was looking at your website, Accord, and it's pretty cool, man. Why don't you go ahead and tell us, the listeners, what is Accord, what does it do, and uh, why'd you build it? Yeah, appreciate that. Um, so yeah, at the highest level, Accord is basically the shared workspace where you can send over to your customer to actually collaborate on the partnership or whether it's onboarding, implementation, success. We're actually working from the same page. So it has you know shared milestones, next steps, timelines, resources between the teams, who's actually involved, the why behind the deal. So instead of you know kind of hurting all the cats internally at your company, doing the same thing <laughs> externally, working from the same place, working on the same deal. Um, yeah, excited to to dig into you know why we built this and and, and how it all works. But um, yeah, so this website. Uh, by the way, for our listeners, you can check out while we're talking about this. It's inaccord.com. That's i n. <clears throat> excuse me, I-N-A-C-C-O-R-D.com. Ross, I love, I was looking at your website and I was looking at the Y Accord uh, part of the website and I had scrolled down to, um, it's really, it's today's selling conversation. It's the map of um, all the things, all the steps that can happen in a sales conversation, really the clunkiness of sales today. Uh, I know you have been in sales before. I believe your co-founder has also been in sales, and I'm not sure if your third co-founder has as well. Um, what's the problem with sales today? What's what's going on in the sales world? Totally. Well, yeah, I, I kind of you know, 
as you mentioned, have a background in sales. So my brother is one of the co-founders, Ryan. And um, yeah, we both did sales in Silicon Valley for a number of years at a, a handful of different companies, kind of found the same problem arise, kind of twofold. One is just kind of the, the bar of the conversation between sales reps um, and buyers today is like very sales focused. And, you know, you, yeah, at the beginning, you mentioned like, what's the, the tips and tricks around sales and everything. I think it's just really focusing on the buyer. It seems mm. very simple, but very hard to do. Um, so that's kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to build the court is instead of these dozens of softwares to help sellers, we actually wanted something that bridged the buyer and seller together. It kind of goes along with our tagline of from vendorship to partnership. No one wants to be just another vendor. No one wants to be another sales rep. You want to be a consultant. You want to be an expert helping solve business problems. And that's what we want to help sales reps and sales organizations do. So that's kind of the first piece is just get out of this, you know, kind of sell, 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 rep mindset and into how are we really solving problems for the buyer? And that's something that just philosophically when you're share in a shared workspace with a buyer helps solve. That's one piece. The next is building this repeatable revenue generating machine or, you know, kind of consistent go-to-market approach. It's really hard to do that and have reps not just do something different on every deal and have every rep going off and doing something different without a centralized hub of like, what are the plays we're actually running? And I'm not talking about your Salesforce stages or the laminate that a great sales trainer gave you or some <laughs> Google Docker <laughs> sheet you have internally. Sure. It's like, what is in front of them? What is in front of the buyer and seller in the deal that you're going to do consistently? So you can get out of, hey, what are the next steps, timelines, milestones, and actually focus on, again, having that business conversation. So those are kind of the two things that I ran into just seeing constantly is how do you ramp new reps and scale this team efficiently if everyone's doing something different and we need to stop talking about us, us, us features functionality and really talking about the buyer's problem. And that's what we're here to solve with Accord. I, I love this. And it's something I've talked about on the podcast. This feels like such a simple concept. So I, I, it's yes. weird to me how the stuff that's so simple, it's being used by so few people. And, and I love what you're talking about really getting away from like the pitch craziness of the selling world and getting into like more of this collaborative conversational, hmm. educational. Uh, and it, it feels like the data has pointed to this being infinitely more profitable for your business because it tends to lead to customers who really love working with you and want to work with you again, rather than you know check the box, I sold them, now let me move on to the next customer. Totally. And it's more fun. Like the, I, I fell in love with sales. I don't think it's a, I think there's this classic <laughs> saying, it's like no one grew up wanting to be in sales, right? right. There's no high school course of like, you know, customer success or pitching. Um, there's a couple college degrees now on that, but like still the vast, vast minority. Um, and what I loved about it was just genuinely trying to understand people's businesses. Like you're coming in and you, you know, you get to see, especially if you're doing, you know, a number of deals at a time, you get to get insight, you know, similar to probably what you do is you get insight into these people's businesses and you try to help them. And when it becomes about just pitching and trying to share with your stuff, like neither party's enjoying that. You feel this stress and pressure <laughs> to like get everything out. Right. And they're like, oh, you're not talking about, you're not speaking in my language, you're not talking about my stuff. And when you just pause and like, just, you know, the classic, like, you know, qualification questions, oh, this specific question, like just try to understand, be curious. Mm -hmm. And it is really difficult, I think, especially for more junior folks or people that haven't sold in their careers. So we're trying to, you know, provide them with this platform just to simplify um, that that whole process. So, so Ross, take me back to your first days as a sales rep, and you know maybe you do have like that laminate. You know, here's the things. You know, customer says or your prospect says this, so you 
deal with the objection this way, or, you know, it's very mechanical and all these things. W- was there a moment that you thought to yourself, okay, this, there has to be a better way than just sort of this, you know, spit out pitches over and over again? Yeah, I think the point where that epiphany came to me is probably two points of it. One was when I got just really comfortable talking to new people. I think that's why I think a lot of, you know, especially if you're on the buyer side, you don't like working with sales reps is I don't think they're comfortable. And they're, again, they're trying to like say the things that they have to say. They're not listening. They're not really present. I think once I felt really comfortable and present with potential buyers or customers and it's like, Hey, what's going on? You're not just like building rapport. You're actually getting to know people. And, you know, again, you're focused on their problems. I think that was where like, Oh shit, I was doing all this wrong. If someone just like said, slow down, (laughs) read how to win friends and influence people and just have a normal conversation with someone, you're probably going to be at the top 1% of sales reps out there in the world. So that was kind of the first pivot is like, just have a normal conversation, be a normal human being. And you're providing them your understanding of the market and your solution period. Um, that was kind of like the first aha moment for me. The second was when I started using these collaborative applications. So using like shared Slack channels or sending over Google Docs and Sheets with our proposals instead of a PDF or an email, where we can actually work together on it. And it was like, oh, wow, you just added on five of your different stakeholders internally to see this stuff and work on it with us. You added comments, you changed things around so it matched you know, your business. That was kind of the next aha moment of like how you can accomplish this, not just on calls, but asynchronously, which is where most people want to work today. You don't want to have to be on a call to do something. You want to have that flexibility. Um, so those are kind of the two big pieces that pointed me to, oh, there, there is a better way of doing things. And we could probably build something um, to try to accomplish that. Now, was your, was your brother, who's one of your co-founders, was he also sort of having this um, internal realization of how there, there's a better way to do sales? Or have you guys just always been close and having conversations on it? I mean, walk me through kind of how y'all's journeys separately came together to, because, you know, they say, don't, don't go into business with your family and, <laughs> you know, you and your brother, you guys started a business. Uh, yeah. walk, walk me through how you got to that point. Yeah. We were actually living together in San Francisco and both working at sales jobs. He was at a startup before and then at Google cloud, um, selling their cloud infrastructure. I was at Stripe. It's funny actually, because Stripe's co-founders, John and Patrick Carlson, also brothers. Um, so we figured out oh, they did something right. Maybe we can replicate <laughs> that. Um, but no, we were always super, super close and yeah, had very similar experiences. And it's funny because you know, you're like, oh, did you guys see, you know, learn this at a similar point and everything? I think any top sales rep that I talk to or manager or someone that's kind of touching that world has seen this problem. Like it's just something that when we have these conversations, it just resonates so strongly with people that have been in this position because, you know, they're like, yeah, I spend half of my time trying to help my customer understand what the journey is and what they need to do internally. And I spend such a small portion of my time actually selling mm-hmm. and it's just kind of getting on the same page with all of these things. And, and there needs to be a better way of, of, of really collaborating and building these relationships um, instead of just pitching, you know, kind of explaining your product is such a tiny part, especially if you're selling into the mid-market upper mid market or enterprise deals instead of just the one or two call closes. So what about, and I don't know if this is something that has even come up at all, but you know, you're building this collaborative platform. That's really exciting when you think about, um, and I think it's exciting for the customer to be invited on into this Mm -hmm. collaborative space. Do you ever have issues with, I mean, we're, we're in a very innovative world today, very tech savvy world today. Um, but I think of even some of my customers, just getting them on a Excel sheet 
uh, or a Google Sheet, excuse me, mm-hmm. can be mm-hmm. agonizing. You know, talking yeah. about Slack can be really agonizing for some of my customers. W- what does it look like for? Um, I mean, is this is this a rarity, or do you typically have uh, a way to get customers on in a way that makes sense to them, that's relatively painless for them, and doesn't just add more for them to have to learn mm-hmm. and manage? That's a great question. And one that was honestly, you know, really um, nerve wracking for us because you got to go out and build the, you know, you can only conceptualize this and have so many conversations to actually build it, get a sales rep to use it, send it to their customer. We're talking like, you know, a year and a half's worth of work and leaving our jobs and doing all this kind of stuff full time to even get that learning. And I think we were, and our customers were overwhelmed by the positive reactions from their clients and customers. They were just like, wow, I wish everyone sold this way and worked with us this way. We can actually see what's going on, what we've been trying to verbalize. Like as a sales rep, you live, you, you have this curse of knowledge. You live in it. It's so simple to you what you need to do and what the customer needs to understand. It's their first time going through this type of evaluation, looking at this type of solution, software, whatever it is, understanding who they need to talk to and all this kind of stuff. I think we take for granted as sellers how much is new conceptually and information-wise and just found it overwhelmingly positive. I think we countered a lot of, you know, the, the kind of tech savviness issues by building something that was super, super simple on the customer side, because we knew that this was going to be a potential challenge and hurt, you know, I worked with clients that weren't super tech savvy on the, you know, sometimes on the business or finance teams with some of the deals at Stripe. And, you know, yeah, they weren't the best at Excel or docs or something like that, but built it just so like, you know, very, very, very straightforward. Um, and folks will ask us, you know, why should we use this over Google docs and sheets? I'm like, how much are they actually engaging in those documents versus mm-hmm. really logging in and making comments and doing all that kind of stuff. So um, very pleasantly surprised. I think we got some really interesting quotes. We were just working on some case studies. One of the lines that sticks out to me is, you know, they're like, wow, you're really rolling out the red carpet for us. It took them two seconds to click a button and share this plan with them, you know, kind of the, the mutual logos on there, et cetera. Just really appreciate the, going that extra mile. And mm-hmm. I think it's such a great way to start building that relationship. Um, and differentiating yourself when there seems like there's so many potential solutions um, out there. How do you stand out right. um, as as a professional company that's going to fall through on your promise? So, so as you were setting out to build this and create this, I, I think I have the information right here that whenever you guys quit your jobs, you didn't actually have the product put together. You hadn't built the program <laughs> no, platform. Anything, yeah. um, was that? I mean, was anyone just like, dude, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> what what was going through your head, or were you just? Were you just so confident that you felt pretty at ease about it? Yeah, this is this is a really interesting question because I talked to a lot of people. I've reached out, especially you know my non technical background. I was like, wow, how did you start this tech company? How did you get funding from Y Combinator and Stripe and you know all these early customers? I think we were actually at in a way um, an advantage or not building right away because we spent a lot, a lot, a lot of extra time doing what we do best, which is having conversations with people, with potential clients. And I think we really deeply understood the core of the problem and the product that people wanted from day one, because we didn't just go out and start writing lines of code and then send it to the customer. We actually took another approach where we designed a lot of it. We designed click-throughable prototypes. So people could actually experience what the flow would look like and get their feedback before we wrote any lines of code. And with tools like Figma and Envision and others today, you can actually get really far in it. It's a less, it's not a buggy product because it's just the front end as well. So you can kind of show them what the experience could look like both for sales reps and for customers without having to um, actually launch. So that's what we really focused on. I think it really helped us again, inform the right decisions of what to build without having to you know, hire expensive either, you know, bring on 
a team early and pay them a ton or, you know, hire a third party um, that would be less expensive wherever in the world and, and kind of have the some costs uh, and products. So that's kind of was our approach and would highly recommend it. At first, actually, I was doing demos with a piece of paper in front of my webcam. Like, <laughs> okay, imagine you click this button, next page. Okay, you're here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, hacking it together, I think, uh, yeah, for as long as you can do that, I think that's kind of where the core of all these ideas that, uh, that are going to turn your company come from. Well, something you said that I think is really powerful is you were talking about how much you guys relied on those conversations with your prospective customers. Mm-hmm. And it, it does feel like, especially in the startup world, that someone sets out to create something and they're like, this is my baby. This is what I envision. It's, you know, and naturally they're like, it's freaking awesome. You know, it's going to be the next, you know, Amazon or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then they, you know, they, they actually do build it. And then when they get in in front of the customer and the customer says, eh, you know, I don't know. A lot of times that owner or founder will say something like, well, they just didn't get it or it just wasn't for them or yeah. you, know, you just, yeah, <laughs> you aren't the right target market. You know, I, I, it sounds like you guys have approached business without really much ego in terms of, you know, really being about you. And I love how you mentioned how to win friends and influence people, which that's a central premise of that book too, for our listeners. Yeah. It's basically, it's not about you. And in your dialogue, you know, I'm not making it about you. When you talk to founders, when you talk to new entrepreneurs, do you ever feel like you have to help them remember it's about the customer and help them focus on like those kinds of conversations? It's such a philosophical difference, I think, in people. Um, and yeah, different founders that you come across or salespeople, I think that's really the core of what you're talking about. The grain of the idea behind the court is it's not about you as the seller. It's about the customer. And mm-hmm. how can we help more salespeople and organizations understand that? Um, but yeah, it's super common. I talk, you know, there's kind of this meme, um, especially in Silicon Valley about like how, pe- how stoked people are on their product. And it's like, no one cares about your product. No one cares about your features nearly as much as you will ever. Yeah, they right. care about the problem that they're experiencing and solving that in a way that makes sense to them. If someone says they don't get it, it's not their fault as yours, especially if it's someone that you want to sell to. Okay. Yes. It might not be the, you know, the persona, et cetera. And they might not be experiencing the problems, but, um, Totally. I think that's a super, super common thing. We're actually just prepping for our big uh, GA launch and, and product hunt launch. And it's funny because a lot of people were saying like so many people in that story focus on, you know, their founding their, themselves or company. It's like people want to know, is this for me? This is the problem, you know, we solve for, and this is kind of how we do it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed, again, seems so simple, but I think, uh, yeah, it's hard. And, and the founder t- persona and type of person as well. They're the person that's going to, you know, run through walls to start a company and, and leave their previous job. And so I think you get a lot of people that do have high ego, which can be helpful sometimes to starting something and going from sure. zero to one and doing those hard things. But uh, it, I think it definitely gets in the way um, when you don't have that mindset. Yeah. What about like the kinds of conversations you're having with like um, new startup founders who are maybe outside of Silicon Valley? Because there's this sort of running conversation of, what life's like as a startup founder in Silicon Valley versus basically everywhere else. Um, and it's really around like this conversation of like funding, you know, um, accelerators, mm-hmm. you know, seed funding. And, and really what typically happens in many other places is, uh, let's take my state, Arkansas, for example, mm-hmm. is you'll have someone who's a startup founder who doesn't have a product, doesn't, has never even really talked to a customer um, you know, maybe at most has that scratch paper that you're talking about, and they're wondering why they aren't finding funders to basically fund their product. 
And it's very different from Silicon Valley and what that experience is like. Do you ever find yourself having to have this kind of conversation with, with startup founders and helping them understand that you can't necessarily, I guess, um, just pitch like crazy and find that find the money that you want for your business, but actually building something out of it? Or, or, or what do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I would say actually a lot of the time, I guess two parts to answer that. A lot of the time I actually see people try to get too far almost um, in terms of trying to sell things and get revenue. I think the, bi- the big difference in my mind between Silicon Valley and anywhere else, even startup hubs in New York or Seattle or Austin or wherever else in the world, um, is just how big they think. It's like getting VC money requires you pitching that your idea is going to be a multi-billion dollar company. Multi-billion, like serve a massive market in a way that drives so much revenue and you have some sort of unique competitive advantage or insight that doesn't exist in the market with a deep understanding of both how you're going to do it technically as well as distribution and all that kind of stuff. I think people don't understand the difference of like a business and a venture-backed business. And it's not that venture-backed businesses are better, it's just different. And Mm. I think people that haven't lived in that world and it's just a unique way of thinking about building a business. And if you haven't worked for one that's kind of done that at least part of the way, it's really hard to un- to grasp that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think people outside of the Bay Area struggle with that, with, with the pitch, as well as why people in, you know, at the funds don't want to invest in them because they're like, we get it. This could be a great business. You're a really smart person. This stuff makes <laughs> sense. But like, that's that's not what we're, we're right. uh, evaluating you on. We're evaluating on you having a 1%, whatever stage it is, if it's a C stage, you have a 1% or 5% chance of becoming a multi-billion dollar business, not a successful entrepreneur. Um, and then to your point around, yeah, people pitching really hard and not being able to get the funds. I think where the market is right now, if you, it almost hurts to be pitching. You want to be you want to be pitched too. There's so much capital being deployed right now, especially in the pre-seed, seed series A world, that something is majorly wrong if you've had you know three to five conversations and people aren't giving you a term sheet hmm. because you, the bar is so low for what you need today to get funding that I think it's the approach. And I think it, it centers around what I just shared, which is you're focused too much on like the real immediate things today versus what's your vision for this? Hmm. That's the type of people that they need to work with um, yeah, I could talk about this all day, but yeah, hopefully that's some helpful <laughs> perspective on kind of what I'm seeing. Well, I mean, and, it's, yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's a complicated world right now, I think for startup founders. And I think, um, it, you know, I, it's, I think what's also tough is like Ross, I don't know how much you run into this, but like, I mean, you guys are a legitimate startup. You're, you're a, a real startup. And then there's people who call themselves startups who really haven't done anything. They have an idea at most. Um, and so it's interesting what's happening in the startup world. You know, you guys have just landed, um, or you started out with six million dollars in seed funding. What's next for Accord? I mean, what's where, where do we go from here? Are you focused on like rolling out new features? Is it more funding? I mean, where where does this go in the next year? Yeah, I think the focus for us with the next year and what we're trying to do with that money is, um, I think, if anything, just narrow, narrow, narrow. I think at this date, it's easy, you know, to get excited. Okay. You're raising all this money, you can hire a bunch of sales reps and marketing and do all these big things. And I think to go fast in the startup world, you need to precisely nail one very clear ICP, ideal customer profile. One thing you solve for them, like one unique value prop, 
in a very narrow market. It's kind of the classic, you know, from the seventies um, crossing the chasm, right? Like in order to scale very quickly, you need to like very clearly win in a niche market. And I think that's where we're going to double continue to double down on is how do we solve this one problem for this one type of customer with this type of results? And there should be enough of a market in that small one to gain that momentum, then to kind of leapfrog to working with other markets, other customers, other features of the problems. Um, so that's what we're really, really focused in on is how can we just continue to double down on what we're winning to pick up that momentum, have those referenceable customers, um, kind of be able to grow much more organically um, and at lower cost of acquisition than the kind of spray and pray uh, method, which yeah, through pay-per-click, <laughs> you can sign a lot of people through doing more outbound, like sure. percentages are low, but you're still doing a lot of stuff. You're going to be winning and growing, but not at a point that's like uh, sustainable into right. building a great business. So I think kind of fighting the urge to, to go out and try to do a lot is continue to double down. And I think you can only do that once you're getting those learnings and out of market. That's actually probably the biggest learning that I've had is like, you can, you can be a subject matter expert and do all these calls and do all this stuff. But when rubber meets the road and you start selling the thing and getting out there, you're going to get so many more data points in those first weeks and months of doing that. And you need to be open to adjusting and again, narrowing in versus trying to do more. Mm. If you're hearing all this feedback, how do you focus on just doing that versus what you thought you would do? And then this other thing, which I think was our initial reaction. And my reflex was, okay, we we're going after this market. And now these people are coming in. This is the problem. Let's do both. <laughs> and now it's like, no, okay. Sure. Like you said, get rid of your ego. Maybe, maybe this is the longer term thing. And maybe this is in a year from now or two years from now. But what people are saying to us, people want right now, this is very clear. Let's go out and do that. And mm. you, you know, get to your first one, two, three, five million dollars ARR. And then you can, you know, maybe go back to it and aid with that stronger brand or better features, functionality, et cetera, you'll win in the other market. But I think really just following that feedback, um, incredibly hard to do, easy to say, but uh, that's kind of what we're trying to trying to do right now. Well, I mean, some feedback can be delivered really harshly. I, I think we live in a, a day where people will tell you exactly what they think in the meanest way possible. Um, I rather have that than I love it. Oh, it's not ready now. Whatever. That's why I love selling to salespeople yeah, yeah. and other CEOs. Cause like, <laughs> just give it to, let's not waste each other's time. Like, I love it. I love it. Well, it. I, yeah. maybe, I mean, a lot of us, we ask our mom, what, you know, what do you think about it? And she's like, you know, I love it. And you're like, all right, I great. I built an awesome product. Um, yeah. Last question for you, Ross, how do you, I mean, obviously entrepreneurship, the startup world, it's a long game. It's a grind. How do you stay patient for success? How do you stay committed to the vision? And how do you stay positive? Great question. Very challenging to do. I think I was just talking to another um, ex-colleague who's going to start his own company. He's like, I just know I'm going to get punched in the face a hundred times. That expression It's just, it's hard. And when you're doing something brand new, that's unique. Like you're setting out to do something really challenging. I think one thing I struggled with was thinking it was going to happen a lot faster. It was like, that can be just such a motivation crushing thing is to set unrealistic or even just any timelines. I think mm. you should measure things by like what you're going to accomplish versus in a certain amount of time. Right. And I think that's something I, yeah, again, like I can preach, but it's hard to do. I think you, you know, set yourself up to do something that, you know, maybe it should take three months. You try to do it in two and you set it as one, like you're just setting yourself up for failure and stress and pressure. Like it's a marathon. How do you make sure you're setting reasonable goals to yourself? And it's really hard to do, especially if you've never started a company before, because like you're kind of making up as you go. 
Um, so that'd be my, my one piece of advice. Just be easier on yourself. Like give it time. If it's going to work, it's going to work. If it doesn't, it's not. And like, you're, you know, kind of pushing yourself that extra little bit that's unsustainable, um, isn't helpful. I do a ton of my morning routine is probably the thing that keeps me centered. So I like to do some you know, meditation and breath work when I get up before anything, keep my phone outside or off, um, out of my room before, you know, kind of getting to work do some, you know, either workout, run, run with my dog or some yoga and just doing that for the first hour. Or so mm. I think when I get out of that routine, I'm like jumping on my computer, responding to emails, all this stuff, I might be slightly more productive that day, but you're not going to be able to consistently do that in an, in a manner that is going to be your best self. So, um, yeah, that's what I try to try to do to keep balanced. It is a long game. So I think that's great advice. Ross, it's been great having you on the podcast today. I so appreciate it. Uh, for people who want to find out more, the best thing for them to do is it to go to the website? Yeah, check out the website, um, inaccord.com, I-N-A-C-C-O-R-D.com, or check me out on LinkedIn if you want to have a conversation. Always open to it. My name is Ross Rich. Um, you should be able to find me there. Ross, it's been great having you on the podcast today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Blake. Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put the link to inaccord.com down in the episode description below. I'm also going to put a link to Ross's LinkedIn profile. That'll also be down in the episode description. Hey, if you've been following the podcast and you love the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button. Click the follow button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. And don't forget, we are on Patreon. You can buy us a cup of coffee at patreon.com slash good advice. You can even get your business advertised on an episode of the podcast. Again, go to patreon.com slash good advice. And as always, man, I appreciate you. Thanks for supporting the podcast and we'll catch you later. See ya.